Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad. And my name is John Mark Osborne and welcome to Fireside Filemaker. And we're going to talk about calculations today. Now there's a lot of topics to discuss regarding calculations. Some of them would work well in a podcast, some others wouldn't. We're going to talk about the calculation dialogue and how it's found all over the FileMaker interface. And there's a good reason for that. It's one of the most powerful enhancements to a feature. Adding the calculation engine to a simple plain feature can make it bright and shiny and much more flexible. So it makes features more than what they are without the calculation engine. So in this podcast, we'll discuss important concepts about the calculation engine without getting into any specific examples. If we did, we'd really need a video and we couldn't really do that. So we're going to talk about generalizations, theories, and ideas, and what you you know should know about the calculation dialogue. So the first thing you should know is that it's ubiquitous. Now, it's one of those fancy words I learned back in high school and thought I'd never use, but it says that the calculation dialogue is everywhere. And I've divided it up into six areas. So we have standalone, which is basically the calculation field. Everybody who does FileMaker knows about the calculation field. In fact, some people never use anything but the calculation field. Then we have another category called enhancement, or that's what I'm calling it. And that would be auto enter, validation, and scripts because all these features could exist and have existed without the calculation engine. The calculation engine just enhances them and makes them more powerful. Then you have your object-based or layout-based unstored calculations that can be attached to conditional formatting, placeholder text, hide object, and tooltips. Of course, you can do simple calculations that are just static text surrounded in quotes, but you can go further with that if you want. Fourth category is security, which I call record level access. Fifth category is custom functions, really a great feature. And then you actually have some features that have the calculation engine right inside them without using a script. That would be replace field contents and send mail. Now, I don't use send mail too often, but replace field contents for sure. So let me just interrupt here. Replace field contents is one of the most powerful tools in FileMaker. But here's a word of warning. Don't ever try and use it when you are tired. Because if you make a mistake, there is absolutely no way to undo it. Yeah, we've actually had people, when I used to work at Claire Support, long, long time ago, they would call up and said, oh, I'm doing a replace right now. Or sometimes it was a delete all records. I need to stop this. And, and I can't, you know, it was like, there's nothing we can do. You can try force quitting, but you might damage your database. There's really nothing we can do. Hopefully you have a backup. So this is a, a good warning. I mean, even me as a developer, I sit there and I read that dialogue out loud to myself to make sure I'm doing the right thing. Because for one, I want to make sure that I don't make a mistake. And number two, it's going to take a long time a lot of times to do that replace. And I don't want to revert to a backup and try doing it again. So even if you have a backup, it can still be a problem. Right. And the other thing that I do, John, that 
is very important. I always check to see exactly how many records I'm going to be replacing the data on. Yeah, absolutely. I read that dialogue religiously. I look at it and I go, okay, think that in my head, put it through my, my, my old brain and make sure that it makes sense. In fact, what I'll often do is work out the formula in the data viewer first and look at some sample records and make sure it's giving me the results I want. And then I'll make sure that I've actually clicked in the correct field that I'm going to replace, not the wrong field. I mean, there's so many problems that can go wrong and it's not undoable. It's not, it, you can't undo it. No, don't be discouraged not to use it because it is incredibly powerful. Absolutely. Just be careful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree with that more. Okay, so let's start talking about the live calculation, which is a calculation field, one that you define inside a managed database as a field, as a calculation type, and you can have all different kinds of results. And you usually put that field on a layout for display. That's the purpose of it. And a lot of people don't understand that. You don't make a calculation field and then reference it at a script. You would actually most likely, I'm not saying all the time, but most likely take that formula out of managed database, not ever defining it there in the first place, and put it in the script if that's where it ultimately needs to get used. So the first thing warning I have in generalization, and, and I can tell you that I still do this to this day, and I'm sure Michael uh, has been known to do it a few times, I, you know, just, just don't be embarrassed. You, everybody can admit it, you know, it happens. And that's you forget to change the result type. You get this fantastic two paragraph formula and you haven't changed it from a number to a text result. I do it all the time. <laughs> and, and, the, and when you figure it out, right, is when you're trying to do a search or a sort. So it may be far down the line because you it's hard to know because you'll actually see the result in the number result, at, even though it's text. You'll see it there in most cases. Maybe it's in a pop-up menu and it, you go, why isn't it showing my text? You know, that would be one reason. Or why isn't it doing the find properly? So what I always do when I exit that, that calculation dialogue there is look at that result or before I even start typing the formula, I choose the result type to make sure I don't run into this problem because sometimes you're scratching your head. You're going, I don't know what's wrong with this. Why is it not working? Because it could be much more complicated reason than this and it could come down to one minor little detail of not changing the result type and it fouls up a whole bunch of things down the line and it takes you hours to figure it out. So I warn you now, change that result type at the beginning and check it at the end. It'll save you a lot of grief. Yeah, it's a good advice. So one of the things that people are a little confused about is stored versus unstored. So stored calculations update only when a reference field is changed, making them the best choice in most cases for efficiency because FileMaker doesn't do anything. If you have, let's say, a full name field, it concatenates first name and last name. A really simple example. That full name only updates when you change the first name field or the last name field. Otherwise, that result is stored essentially permanently in the database so it doesn't have to calculate it again. That's key because it makes your database more efficient. So a lot of the times you shoot for having stored calculations. On the other hand, an unstored calculation recalculates whenever the screen refreshes. So if you go from record to record 
and then you know you go from record one to two and then record two back to record one well it's recalculated when you went to record two and it's recalculated again when it doesn't cache it it's it's calculated every single time because it's unstored it has to calculate it and there are so times when you want that unstored calculation to be uh, that calculation of force to be unstored but a lot of times you have no choice so when a calculation is based on a global field a related field a summary field or another unstored calculation field it will automatically be unstored you'll have no choice you'll if you go to try to change you'll say oh sorry you can't do this because your field has a reference to a global field. It'll even give you the message. So if you don't have this list and can't remember what the fields are that make it unstored, then you can always try to put one of them you remember and it'll tell you the whole list inside that error message. Yeah, the way I kind of um, look at stored calculations and unstored calculation is I give you an example using paper. The stored pieces are the stuff that I put in the filing cabinet and the unstored is everything that's on my desk. Right. <laughs> Right? I like that idea. I like that analogy. So what's bad about unstored calculations? Well, if you search them, they're going to be unindexed searches, which means they'll be slow. So if you're not familiar with how indexing works, it basically is like the index of a book. What FileMaker does is it takes every, let's take a text field, for example. So it'll take every single word, Let's say you have let's uh, an article or a title field or something that has a lot of words in it. And the word the is in there a lot. Well, in the index, it's only going to be there once with references to each record it's on. So searching an index is much faster than searching every single record. Much, much faster. And it's just like an index of a book. Right. But let's just, before let me just interrupt, John. This is really only important where you've got large data sets. With a small data set, it doesn't matter. It happens so fast. It it's irrelevant. But when you're looking at large numbers of records, the difference between a stored calculation, searching on a stored calculation and an unstored one can be colossal. And even more so if you're working across the network. Absolutely. Or even remotely. Yeah. So as we said before, unstored calculations recalculate each time the screen refreshes. So you can kind of avoid that. Well, first of all, again, it's when you change records, but it also be when you switch layouts. As soon as that field comes onto the screen, that's when it's going to calculate. And so you can kind of get around a little bit by using tabs. If you have five tabs in a tab control, only the unstored calculations that are on the first tab, if that's the one that's showing, will actually calculate. And the ones that are on tab two will only calculate when you click on it and they come forward. Same with popovers and things like that. You can hide stuff so that you can kind of get around the limitations of unstored calculations. So we also want to talk about, you might want to actually force a calculation to be unstored. When would you do that? When's the best time? Well, it usually happens with get functions. You might have some kind of date calculation, maybe some type of reminder that an invoice is overdue. It just kind of shows on the screen. You wouldn't necessarily want to search it like we said before, depending on how big your your you know number of records are. But if you just want a little warning on the invoice when you look at it that says overdue, well, you'd use the get current date function and compare it to the date that the invoice was created and subtract any number of days that you wanted to on that, you know, on that invoice to to compare to the current date. 
Right, well, the get current data is a classic example of something you should always have as an unstored calculation because if you don't have it unstored, then it's set to whatever it was the last time you opened the program or last time you forced it. So it could be two weeks out of date. And it gets forced when you gets forced when you exit managed database is when it happens. Get current time, get current timestamp. Used to be get found count. We did that a lot because we didn't have the ability to uh, uh, to put that information uh, with a with a inserting a, a, a merge variable, not a merge variable, inserting a that that value on the layout. So we could we couldn't access it. So you had to make a calculation. So we did that a lot, but no more. Now you also often do it with constants. So you have a constant relationship where you want the one side of the relationship to always be the same value, and it looks for any record on the other side of the relationship that would have that same value. It's not necessarily all records. And you can do a lot that, with that with uh, different types of relationships now in FileMaker, but still often use constant relationships. And so I put a calculation in there that's quote, blah, 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 quote, and then I make it unstored so that it's going to allow it to recalculate, refresh that relationship as I need it, as I'm going from record to record. Any any examples you have of forcing unstored calculations? I don't know if there's any other general ones. You know, it's a good question, John. I use the constants constantly. Yeah. And, you know, so for example, I have a set of products that have a category and a subcategory. And I use a calculated field for the category that I want to, to go to, like parts. I've got a calculated field that says parts, and that is then connected to all the parts or the products that have that category. So I can use that constant to go to a set of records that are related and what exactly what I'm looking for, as opposed to having to search for that particular item. Right. So you're talking about uh, go to related record, right? Yes. Yeah, cool. Yeah. All kinds of tricks you can do with constants out there. All kinds of things you can do. So, you know, give them a try sometime. So I think it's important. This is probably the most important thing to understand about calculations. And the, the most misunderstood part about calculations or calculation fields is the stored versus the unstored. We want to use, I constantly get that question from people. Well, why would I want a stored? What, you know, why would I want an unstored? Why is it not going to store it? I want it to be stored. Or what does it mean? And the, you know, so hopefully this has helped you to understand the differences between stored and unstored and telling you when to use them will be difficult. So we won't try to do that. You just have to know when you want stored, when you want unstored. And, and, you know, there, there's quite a few examples out there. Uh, and if you search the internet, you'll find them. So I would highly recommend making Google your friend. Always put FileMaker followed by what you want to find, and you'll find something out there. Actually, I'm going to interrupt, John, because there is also unstored calculations, you know, can reference a global field or they can reference another record in another table. And all of those things that prevent it being stored can be negated if you set the value of the field via a script where you're taking that calculation and setting a field with the value of that calculation because now that field itself is stored and is indexed and you don't have to worry about whether it's an unstored calculation because you've just made it stored and a lot of times you can get 
a script to act like a calculation by using a script trigger so it automates the updating of that field so it constantly has the value you want in it and like you said is indexed and so gives you you know a better control of relationships and in, in a bi-directional method you also will get into auto enter calculations which can do the same thing as well they can bypass that limitation of an unstored calculation by auto entering an index value for you okay so we'll move on to custom functions one of those things i i you know it took me a long time to really understand the purpose of them. At first, when they first came out, and I forget what version is like FileMaker 8-ish, it was all about recursion. And pretty much recursion has been replaced with the while function that came out in FileMaker 18. There's, there's really no need to use recursion, although I, I, I've been doing recursion so long, it's sometimes a lot easier to write than a while function, but that will change over time. The while function is pretty cool. It's, it's, it's more verbose, but in a lot of ways, easier to write and easier to control than recursion. Recursion is cool. Don't get me wrong. John, go ahead and define recursion for people who don't know what it means, John. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, recursion is when you call the same formula back to itself. But usually what you're doing, so you're making a loop inside of a calculation essentially. So what you're usually doing at that point is changing some of the values, values you're feeding into it in the calculation that's calling itself. So you're constantly looping. It's the same idea as a scripted loop. You're looping and changing the values, like you might be going to different records, or you might be doing something different to a return separate list. But in a in in a recursive custom function, it's all contained within that calculation. And so you can get things done repetitively, like run through lists of values and do something like I have a, a thing I use a lot, which is a, a recursion for a phone filter. So phone filters usually, if you do them in a regular calculation dialog, and let's forget about the while function, let's say it doesn't exist. In a regular calculation, you have to make every exception notable. You have to say, well, is, it, is the phone number seven digits? Is it 10 digits? Is it an international number? Does it have a, a one in front of it? You know, with, a, with something like a recursion, you can make it handle all those scenarios with one formula and so therefore make a less complicated solution. It does take a little more complexity to get there because it's a little hard to understand recursion. But once you get there, and over the years, it gets pretty cool what you can do. But again, the while function pretty much replaces that. I don't know of any situation where the while function doesn't do what recursion can do. Do you have anything to add to that, Michael? No, I haven't. I'm, I must say that recursion has always been, it hurts my head. <laughs> right. I think that's the best way to describe it. It hurts my brain. And so it's nice that... FileMaker now has the while function to replace recursion in, in, in the custom functions. I'm not sure whether there's a, a clear-cut advantage of having while over writing a recursive custom function, but I think it's also just a part of FileMaker just trying to make things easier when they see something a lots of people are doing and isn't necessarily the most intuitive, they try and improve that and change that. Well, I, I like to, to equate recursion to a MacGyver trick. 
You know, he's got a, a paper clip uh, that's uh, got a piece of chewing gum on one end and and it's going to uh, shoot a gun when, you know, something, I mean, you know, who knows what. And, and it always seems like it's a strange thing to do. It's, it's, uh, it's hard to understand. Once you get it, you get it. But what I do to help write recursion, if you decide you want to do that, is I get a simple example of repeating the contents of a field over and over and over again, however many times I want, five times, that'll be a parameter that I pass into it. I want to repeat what's in this field five times. So I'll say, John, 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 right? And so I get that simple example and all recursion is going to be based off of that simple example. So if you get that simple example working, you can copy and paste it and base all your more complex recursion off that. And I find that's that's what I still do today. I still start any new recursion project that I would do that way rather than trying to go, okay, let me go ahead and figure it out from scratch. If I've got that basis, that foundation, it just makes it a little bit easier to get going. Yeah, it's a good point. It is a complex area, though. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, the wild function is just more designed to do that iteration. Repeat what's inside of this particular parameter of the while function. There's four of them, if, I, if I've got it correct. And repeat this one thing while I think it's the, the, the value in the second parameter is true. And so it's just a little bit more uh, gentleman-like. It's a little bit easier. It's more verbose. You'll write more code, but it's easier to interface with it and get what you want done. And recursion just one of those crazy things. But we're kind of off on a tangent because my whole point of this was that, yes, that's what custom functions were about for me when it first came out. But now I'm realizing more and more that custom functions are about centralizing your code. So what does that mean? Let's say that you have, uh, and I'll, I'll use the same, same example I did before, using a phone filter formula. That's a really simple example. There's much more complex things that I want to get into that you do. But let's say a phone filter, and you have five or six different phone number fields across your multi-table solution. You might have company phone numbers and contact phone numbers and employee phone numbers. And you want to filter all those with the calculation so that they're not just the format that somebody typed in, they're in a standard format all the time. So you take all the numbers and you and you take all the formatting out and then you put your formatting in. A pretty common thing for people to do. So the idea behind this is if you centralize it inside of a custom function and you make an error or you want to enhance it, you only have to go to one spot, not to companies, to customers, to employees, and to all the tables that use that formula and change it in each place. Now, you could copy and paste it, but you might forget one and it's, it's kind of a pain in the butt. You don't want to do that. So centralizing your code is really I think the key reason to use a custom function, they're not that hard to design. So I would definitely get into them and try to understand how they work. And most importantly, it's actually pretty easy to figure out how to design one, but the, the complex part is no one to use one. That's the most important part. And if you keep remembering, it's about centralizing your code. It's almost like modular scripting. You're trying to say, this code is going to get used over and over and over again. I'm going to put it in one spot so I don't have to fix it in multiple spots. I don't have to update it in multiple spots. It's all there in one place. That's a very good point. And I'm just going to expand on this because I've been using custom functions for years, as long as they've been around. And I got, I go to Brand Dunning's site when I'm looking for something particular and I find the custom function that does 
what I want and I copy and paste it and insert it into my solution. But I, up until last week, just based on something that you said in passing, I had never written a custom function. And after hearing your comment, and I can't remember exactly what you said. I think it was about centralizing the code. I realized that I was creating a calculation that would use a global field and a value list. And the global field would have a list of values that were defined by the value list. And if the value list, if the global field had no value selected, it would use all of the values from the value list. But if there was a value selected, it would just use those. And I'm using this in a relationship. And so I'm creating that calculation over and over again. So I ended up just going in and creating that as a custom function. It took me a little bit of trial and error. But then I went back into all the calculations and replaced them with the custom function. And it works like an absolute dream. And now I'm excited about doing more of that. But it is about understanding and knowing when to use it and when not to. Yeah, and even, even us, we, we've been using FileMaker for a long time. We still have things to learn. There's still stuff I don't know about FileMaker. Same with Michael. So take your opportunity to learn something new every day if you can. Maybe it's custom functions. Now, we talked about centralizing the code, recursion. The third thing that Clara says about custom functions is it's good for junior programmers. Now, technically, they didn't say it, but they hired somebody to say it in their FileMaker training series a while back, and that's where I read it. And basically, the idea is they say that if you have this custom function, which will be look like a regular function, like the left function or the middle function or the text format function or the while function, it'll, it'll be programmed like that. You can have a whole ton of code hidden inside the custom function, but allow junior programmers to access it through that simple interface of that function call with the parameters. And they say that's a benefit. I say, I would never do that. I say, if they don't know how to program that simple piece of area of FileMaker, a calculation, then they shouldn't be touching my database and they should go back to school to learn how to do FileMaker. So I don't agree with that at all as, as an option or, or as a as a benefit of, of custom functions. Well, I, I think the key thing is, and I noticed this when I was doing my, my custom function, is that in the custom function calculation box where you're actually creating it, you've got a whole series of lines of code, but you've got the name of the custom function and then you've got the the parameters. So when you are selecting that custom function inside managed database, all you're seeing is the name of the function and the parameters that are being called. Now, unless you wrote that custom function yourself, you won't actually know what it's doing without going back and looking at the custom function. It's a little hard to understand, which means that if you are handing that project over to somebody else, they will have to go in and look and see what that custom function is supposed to be doing. It isn't obvious on the surface. Now that I'd have to agree with. That's kind of a, a, a similarity to the point, the third point that it says, you know, about junior programmers, but it's also about, 
you know, sometimes you just need a custom function to do something. You don't really want to understand it. You just want to do it. And you're a seasoned developer, but, you know, the point is that, that you go to a site and there's tons of them out there where you can grab this custom function, put it into yours, and then use it. And I don't generally do that, but I know a lot of people do like to do that. And I can see that as, a, as a definitely a benefit of them. So I'm glad you, you clarified that. So one of the questions that I think we should bring up is when should you or should you ever have a calculation field that is unstored as opposed to setting the value of that calculation into a field via a script or a script trigger? Well, it all depends on how you need it updated, I think. I mean, if you have to generalize it, do you want it to update as the record refreshes, as the screen refreshes? Or can you wait for the script or an end, or do you need it to be indexed? I mean, I think we've covered a couple of these points, and you just got to look at what do you need it to do? Does it involved in a relationship? Is it on, you know, the, the child side of a relationship or the parent side? Does it need to be indexed? Things like that. Yeah, that's a very good answer. So, so I'll give you a classic example, and this is for our listeners, not for you and I. A classic example of when you should be using setting a field via a calculation, via a script or a script trigger is when you're managing inventory because you have a quantity for each particular part or product and there are sales of that part or product and there are deliveries of that part or product and each of those will affect the total inventory quantity. Now if you're using a calculation field within the managed database you can end up it taking an enormous amount of time for the program to go through and add up all of the items that were sold and all the items that are received plus the starting quantity and get to the current quantity but if you every time you make a sale of a part or a product you decrease the inventory quantity by that sale quantity and every time you get a delivery you increase it by the amount of that delivery you are using the calculation engine in its most efficient way to be able to keep track of everything that you've got in inventory, whereas it might take a very long time if you were doing it the traditional way with a calculation field. Absolutely awesome example, classic example. And I can't emphasize this example enough to understand this issue. And just to, to make a little more detail, the way you do this with a straight calculation, which is the wrong way usually to do it, is to aggregate, use an aggregate function like sum. Usually sum would be used or a count or something like that. And that has to go over all the records in the entire database because it's looking through a relationship. Relationships don't care about found sets. It has to go to all those and add them up every single time you want to see that number. And so it can be incredibly slow, not necessarily when you're programming in a single user mode and you only have 100 records, you won't notice the problem. It's when you put it up on the server and then all of a sudden a year later you have 10,000 or 100,000 or a million records and the guys, you know, the, you're the person you designed the solution for goes, why is it so slow? Oh, well, I took the easy way out because it is easier to use the aggregate function. Trust me, I know. It's much easier. The script is much harder to program, but it's going to be much better in the long run for doing inventory or any time an aggregate function is trying to look at all the records in the entire database. You just want to try to eliminate that possibility. 
And for those people who are interested in using custom function, there is an enormous library. Brian Dunning, who I mentioned earlier, he has a custom function section on his site. And the last time I looked, which was a few days ago, there were over 2,100 custom functions. And most of these have been written by really experienced FileMaker developers to solve a specific problem. And that's my first place to look when I want a custom function. So are we ready to talk about auto enter calculations? I think we're done with custom functions. Sounds good. Okay, so auto enter calculations are really interesting and they're often misunderstood for a particular option there. But the basic idea behind an auto enter is it allows you at the schema level to put a value into a field. So no matter where that field is, this layout, that layout on the on you know web or here or there, it's gonna work. You don't have to worry about running a script or, or anything like that. It's just gonna work. And I like schema level stuff in most cases. Sometimes you want something that's layout based, but you know that's a discussion for another time. So what it can do is put a value into record and one of the things you can do is, you know, put a constant value in there. You can put, you know, all kinds of different options there. But the one we're most interested in right here is the calculation. And it has this little mysterious option down there right below it. And you can only uncheck it or check it once you've defined a formula for the auto enter. And so what it says, it says, do not replace existing value, if any. It's kind of one of those double negatives and it takes a second to figure it out. So it's automatically checked by default. And the reason why it's automatically checked by default, and I almost always uncheck it, is because it's legacy. Because this check mark wasn't always there. And I forget what it came. I think it came in FileMaker 7 is when it was introduced. And what it does is it makes an auto enter work more like a live calculation field. So why would you want to do that? Why don't you just use a calculation field? Well, in a lot of situations, an auto enter with the option do not replace existing value if any unchecked will make that value stored possibly. It can help you in that situation in general. And we'll talk about some more uh, examples of, of that. But, but in general, that's what it can help you to do. It can put a value in there so it can be indexed and overwritten as well. So you can actually go into that field, overwrite the value, and it won't update that value until one of the reference fields is, is changed, just like a regular calculation field. In fact, uh, if you don't uncheck that option, just leave it as is, then what's going to happen is it's only going to auto-enter that value when that field that it's auto-entering into is blank. And when's that going to happen? Probably only at one time, right? When you when you first create the record and you fill in the fields that it's referencing. So you want to uncheck that most of the time, probably 99% of the time, want to uncheck that option, and it'll continue to overwrite, update that value. Now, there are some situations where you don't want to update. You want to put a value in there and you want to stay there. Yeah, I get that. But most of the times you want to update. Now, it's not going to update in every situation for you, though. That's what you got to worry about. If you think that it's going to solve your problem about an unstored calculation every time, it's not going to work because of the dependency tree. So what happens is FileMaker doesn't reach out to all of the references all the way table to table to table to table if there's references and update things in an auto enter. It'll be a terribly slow every time you went and did something. So the dependency tree only lets it go so far 
into the depths of FileMaker to pull out information. And one of the things it won't do is if you change a value in the related table, it's not going to go ahead and update the auto enter in the other table that is referencing that field through a relationship. It just won't do that. But a lot of times it can get over that need for or, or allow you to have a stored calculated value rather than an unstored. Right. So I'm going to give you a classic example. And this is for our users benefit, not yours. We almost always use a primary key, which is a calculated value that uses the get UUID to create a virtually almost unique string of text numbers. It's 36 digits in length and the chances of it being duplicated are similar to you winning the lottery three times in a single week. It's so astronomical, it doesn't bear, bear things. But if you have the primary key as a calculation and you duplicate an existing record without that box unchecked, then what will happen is you will end up using the same primary key, which is connected to records related in other tables or related records in other tables. And therefore, you've now messed your entire st structure and schema up completely by having that duplication, by having that duplicate primary key. So if you set it to replace the primary key when the record is duplicated or a new record is created, it will always give you a unique primary key. And that's one of the most important uses of it, in my opinion. Yeah, and I got a little tangent on that. I've actually used auto enter calculations to pull a primary key from two tables away into the current table so it can be indexed rather than using some other scripted method because I like that that it happens at the schema level, and no matter where that field is, it reacts. I don't have to worry about running a script to make that happen. If I create that record in that third table down, it'll go to the second table and then to the first table, pull that value through the relationship, and auto enter it for me. It's saved my my uh, my life several times. Good point. There's all kinds of ways you can do these things, and and sometimes it's, it's having that knowledge in your on your tool belt and realizing that, hey, there's more than one way to do something. There's calculation field, there's an auto enter, there's custom functions, and we'll get into validate. It's about choosing the right way to implement the, cal implement the calculation so that you get the results you really want, the best results. So one of the things I wanted to discuss is the difference between case, the case function, and the if function. And I know that if is, you know, legacy, but perhaps you'd like to explain what the difference is, John. Well, if is legacy, for sure. It, it's, it came first. And we're not talking about scripts. We're talking about calculations. So let's leave scripts out of it for right now, because then that, that maybe we'll bring it up in a second, but that confuses it even more. So let's just focus in on calculations for now. So case came later, and you really need to know why it's better. So it really comes down to when you're doing nested conditional statements. Case is inherently nested. That means it can nest without adding another case statement. It's not that you can't add another case statement. You can, but you don't need to. If, on the other hand, requires you to use multiple ifs. So if you have, 
if you wanted to go ahead and test for the 50 states, does the state field equal CA, give me a number one? Does the state equal, you know, WI, then give me a two and, you know, keep going through all the states. If you did it with an if statement, you'd have 50 ifs in there, the word if in there 50 times, and you'd have 50 closed parentheses at the end. In case, you'd have an open and a closed parentheses and a bunch of semicolons in between. Right. And the real difference is, the real difference, though, is that with the if calculation, it has to go to the very end before it completes. Whereas with case, the moment the condition is met, the calculation stops. Yeah. And so what, what Michael's saying about that, and let me say it in my words, perfectly wonderful the way he said it, but the way I would look at it is that when you nest calculations, whether it's the same calculation nested in itself or different ones, FileMaker works from the inside out. So it has to go to the, the, to the last if statement that's nested, figure it out, go to the one outside of it, figure it out. Go to, so it has to figure out all of the results and then figure out which one's the right one, which one it's actually going to choose. And it works, but it's slower. Now, you may not notice the difference on a single record, but if you're doing anything that goes across multiple records like a replace, it really could make a big difference in slow down results. Case, once it gets to that first true result, it doesn't test any more of, you know, uh, any more of the, the nested cases that are, I shouldn't say nested, the inherently nested, uh, you know, tests that it's doing to figure out what the right answer is. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like, it's going through this calculation, this calculation, it goes, okay, that's it. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> right. <laughs> so the other little minor point about the if statement is it has no automatic default result. The case statement will result in zero or blank. If you don't give it, you can give a default result if you want that has no test. And then if it gets through all the tests, then that default result is what goes in there. But if you don't, it'll just give blank. And, and that's what I usually do most of the time. So there's, there's really, uh, you know, an important thing to understand here about, about what we said about the nested if. It's not just that it's slow, and that's a really important thing, but it's also, I can't tell you how many times I sat there in the old days looking at an if function and going, okay, how many uh, closed parentheses do I need? Okay, let's just click okay and see if it's okay. Oh, it's not right. Okay, let me put another one on there. Okay, let me try to count them. Let me go one, two, you know, or sometimes I grab and pull them into a word process and do a count for parentheses to see if I got the right number. It, it just makes programming so difficult. So it's such a, a, a big issue that I even tell people who use if statements in a calculation that have no nesting, just test, true, false, that you shouldn't even use it then because you're setting yourself up for failure in larger nested scenarios. I would say just get it out of your vocabulary, use case only. I wonder if at some point FileMaker will actually eliminate the if function. It's a good question. I mean, lookups are still there, but actually there are a couple of situations where lookups work well, I mean, the replacement for lookup is really auto enter calculation, but there are a couple situations that would be pretty complex to get into where I've used them and they work better and do what I want where auto enter calculations don't. But I have not seen a situation where if can do anything that case doesn't. So maybe one day they will get rid of it, I hope. Yeah. So just slight diverging. 
Um, you mentioned earlier the choose function, which I've never used. And I looked at it and I now know why I've never used it. But why do you think that's such a good solution? I don't think it's such a good solution. I think that it's an alternative to a case statement when it makes sense. So the way the choose works is it allows you to have one test and one test only. And then you can have unlimited parameters after that, which are the results. So that calculation must, and this is a limitation on it, must result in a number. And that number references all the different results that follow afterwards. So it's parameter one is that test. Parameter two is result one. Parameter three is result two. So on and so on. All the way to then, you can have as many or as few results as you want. So the advantage there is you do one calculation. So the classic example would probably be figuring out grades. If you did a, a case statement, you'd have to write, you know, a, a test for A, test for A minus, a test for B plus, and so on and so on, all the way down. With the choose, you can write one test, make a much shorter, much easier to modify formula that just simply does the accumulation of all those grades or averages or whatever you want to do, and then says pick the right result, and your results would be A, A minus, B, and so on, and go on down the on the list for you. But I, I guess I would probably argue with that and say, why wouldn't you just make that a value list with the results and just select the result, the value you want? Um, because it's automatically figuring out, usually in the grade example, the average of a bunch of grades that would require a calculator. And basically, FileMaker's acting as your calculator to automatically figure it out. Okay, I got it. Yep. It's, I can't say I use it a lot. Don't get me wrong. I I rarely use the choose function, but it's kind of nice to have this you know little specialized tool that you can pull out every once in a while that really make a difference. And and what it is, it's going to be faster than the case statement in a lot of situations because you're doing one test. And so that's where if you're doing something over and over and over again, or wanted a simpler piece of code so it's easier to read, that's when you might want to employ choose. But it's it's really an esoteric function that you probably uh, won't use more than a couple of times. I don't think I've ever implemented an actual client solution. I've written about it, but actually using it, I, I can't remember a situation where it really benefited me. Interesting. Let's move along and talk about validation. Yes. The bane of my existence. <laughs> bane of everybody's, I think, honestly. Well, you know, and the reason I say that is because validation seems like a very benign feature. And the reason I try to limit how much validation I do is because it just really honestly gets in the way of people trying to do data entry. Don't force them to put the data in if they want to temporarily go somewhere else and come back. Don't make them put everything in there. And I, I think the first thing you need to say about validation is that you need to reserve it for when it really makes sense and don't over-validate or else you're going to make your, your users unhappy and you don't want to. Give them some flexibility, some freedom to move in the database where they want without completely filling things out and possibly add validation later as you're exiting the record or uh, you know, maybe the next day it comes up and shows you all the things that you didn't fill out and you have to do them now. And you can, you can easily do that with the script. So there's other ways to get around it. I'm not saying I don't use it. I'm just saying don't abuse it. It's also, it's also got a real issue if you're importing, if you've got a lot of validation and you're importing data from another file, 
sometimes that validation that you've set will get in the way of that import working successfully. And I've found that many, many times. Absolutely. That's why you want to decide how you set up your validation is whether it's going to happen only during data entry or always. And that will help out with that depending on if you want to implement that or not. But I think the point is, is that it can get in your way, right? Even as a developer, it can be a, a burden. And so I just say use it with, uh, you know, restraint. So the things I want to say about it uh, really is not much uh, other than that, but that there's a difference between the different kinds of validations. So some validations occur as the field is modified, right when you tab out of or click out of it. Other validations occur only when the record is committed. And so the reason we're talking about this is because calculated validations and the validation for not empty are only run when you commit that record. That would be moving to another record, uh, moving to another layout, closing the file, but not tabbing between them. And you can kind of understand why in the not empty for sure, because what you're having here is an annoyance that if you have to, if you can't come back and fill that field in with something later, in other words, it's forcing you to fill it right when you go to that field. You don't want that. I mean, I can understand if you put something in and it's not in your, your number range or it's not in your value list. Yeah, you want to warn the person right then. That's how the other validations work as you're exiting the field. But a not empty, it you really should let them first commit the record. And that's why they also put the calculated validation in that arena because they really don't know what you're doing. So they're going to validate it when the record's committed, not as you exit out of the field. And so I'm going to kind of go ahead and, and, and put a wish list item out there. I really, really, really wish, and I've been wishing this for a long time, that they'd attach the calculation engine to the custom validation message. You can kind of get around it with script triggers, but I want something schema level. And it seems to me it's long overdue to put that calculation engine on that custom dialogue so I can vary it depending on what information is on the current record rather than having to go to a script that's I'm going to have to make sure that's attached as a script trigger to that field on every single layout where it appears in order for it to validate properly. Yeah, it's a good point. I tend to use script triggers for validation almost exclusively. I rarely ever use it in the in the schema just because it causes more problems than I really want to deal with and has unexpected consequences. Yeah, there's there's the good and the bad about a validation at the schema level. Uh, the bad is, is that if you're trying to run a script, validation can get in the way and then you have to test for those errors and can be a pain, right? There are specific errors for validation that you can test within a script. But the good is, is that once you define it, you don't have to worry about, oh, I forgot to put it on this field on this layout. So it, it's really about understanding the differences between a script trigger validation and a field validation at the schema level. And when you understand that, you can understand when you make that move to use one or the other, what the advantages and disadvantages are going to be. And you can apply it to your situation and go, is it going to be a problem or not? And I constantly do this with, with what I'm using because there's always more than one way to do something in FileMark, or almost always. Sometimes there's 10 ways to do it. And you've got to have that mind that goes through and says, okay, 
why would I use, which one of these, you know, tools on my tool belt am I going to actually use? I've got, you know, these five different types of hammers here. This one's best for this situation. This one's best for that. And you do that so that you choose the right tool in FileMaker for the right situation. Absolutely. So you ready to talk about scripts now? Oh, yeah. So scripts would suck without the calculation engine. That's the understatement of the century, John. But they didn't always have calculations. If you've been around for a while, scripts were designed to automate printing. And it was just, if you, if you look on my, my blog, which is philosophyoffilemaker.com, I wrote about the FileMaker history, and there's an example screenshot of what script maker looked like. That's what they used to call it, script maker, if you weren't. It's not wasn't always a script workspace. So they have an example of it. It was just a bunch of checkboxes and pop-up menus. You had no way to really code the data. And it was all geared towards finds, sorts, layout selection. And it was that was because it was all about doing reports. That was all it was, it, just reports. And so the script engine has come a long way. And one of the first things they started doing with it was introducing more of a coding even even before they had the current incarnation of the the script workspace, it was still you you still were coding, and they introduced that calculation engine, and all of a sudden, scripting is the cornerstone of FileMaker. It makes it so much more powerful. It's it's like a it's like a programming language now. It's 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 kind of like a macro also, but it's it 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 automates what you do, but it's also a programming language. You can make choices and go different directions because of that calculation engine. And some script steps wouldn't even be possible with them, like if, exit loop if, set field, set variable, they'll all require that calculation engine to really work. Others would be crippled, like go to layout. It would still work, but you wouldn't have the go to layout name by calculation or go to layout number by calculation. So it would be crippled. Move and resize window, open URL, good object. The list goes on for both sets. Right. I want to interject a question here. Because um, you just mentioned if, and we were talking just a few minutes ago about how if is bad. Why is if still part of scripts and not using the case condition? Or is really if in scripts like case? Yeah, it's a common question that people always ask me. Why is there not a case statement inside the script steps? Why wouldn't there be? Well, that's because if script step has else if which essentially makes it work like the case statement. So there's no need for it to have the case. It gets a little confusing sometimes when you start learning FileMaker because you have if and case inside the calculation engine, but then the script steps, you only have if. Why, why wouldn't you have case? What's the difference? Well, if really has else if already and, and it's already has that ability to do all the things that the case statement can do, it, it wouldn't add any functionality to the script to have that script step called case. So effectively, in the script, you're going if, which is the condition one from your case formula, and then else if, which is condition two from your case formula, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And if you wanted to compare it to the if calculation function, it would be like not having else if. So you do if, blah, 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 end if. If outside of that one, blah, 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 end if, that would be an if like you would have inside of the calculation. In other words, it would have to do each 
if test each one, even though you knew that only one of them was probably going to, or hopefully only one of them was going to be result in a, in a value, you still have to, it, the script engine still has to test it. So that's how you'd, you'd make it look the same as uh, an if calculation. Just simply adding that else if makes it nested inherently or, or like a case statement at that point. Yeah, that's a good explanation. And I'm sure a lot of people are really confused about it. I can tell you, it's you wouldn't be the first one, so don't be embarrassed. Not you, but listeners out there, if you're not familiar with what these things are, because, like you know, like Michael said, he he hadn't used custom function uh, custom functions a lot. So I mean, there's something to learn in FileMaker all the time. There's stuff I learn all the time. I mean, I'm trying to remember uh, what what the last thing was, but if I come up with it, I'll have an aha moment during this podcast and bring it up out of the out of the blue. So we'll see. I think I have something more to say about scripts. And it has to do with something we've kind of said already, but it's important to know when to employ a calculation as a script, as an auto enter, as a calculation field, as conditional format we're coming up with. And that's the the, the thing about the ubiquitous calculation dialog. It's everywhere. And in fact, it's different everywhere too. You'll notice that there are differences between the dialogues. I want you to go around and when you get off this podcast and look at them, if you're not familiar with it, and see that each calculation, there's a lot of similarities, but each calculation dialogue has some unique aspect to it for where it's being implemented. But I think you need to understand about how the script engine and how the calculation uh, inside of a field and the auto enter, how they all differ, because that's the, that's the key to understanding where to implement a calculation. So the advantage of a script is that it has to run either by clicking a button, by being performed by another script, or by a script trigger. So the button is cool because it runs that calculation only when the user clicks that button. That's it. And so Michael brought up the example of the inventory. So that's great. So you're at some point probably going to say, I'm done with this invoice and it's going to go ahead and level. So the user will click a button that will lock that invoice and say it's done and print it. And it's going to go ahead and do all the inventory leveling because you have to have at some point in time at which that script knows to go ahead and do its stuff. With a live calculation, it just does it all the time. Whenever you're changing each line item, it's going to change right then and, and update uh, you know, to show the information. So that's important to understand that a script requires, in most cases, user intervention to get it going. So it's a it's a almost like a snapshot, more like an auto enter calculation than a live calculation field. And then of course you throw in script triggers, and then you have you know user uh, actions that make a script work. And then then you know you have other examples, but the most common still is a button, and I think that's what really makes it different than the other ways of implementing a calculation. Yeah, I tend to use uh, use it a lot on object exit or on object modify rather than buttons. I try and avoid having too many buttons on the screen because I just find that they end up confusing the user because there's too many things for them to look at. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I'm not a big, uh, you know, trying to overwhelm the person with so many buttons. That's why I always put my navigation buttons under a custom menu. So I don't have so many buttons on the screen to, to draw away from and, you know, from the, the experience of, of trying to enter their data. Okay, so I feel I feel uh, satisfied now that I'm ready to move on to the layout-based or object-based calculations, which are 
conditional formatting, placeholder text, hide object, and tooltips. So starting off with conditional formatting, starting there because why? It's the first one to get introduced. It was the first one to help with FileMaker or Claris's mission. And if you've listened to a conversation with Claris, this is what Robert Holsey always tries to do. He tries to make a feature that improves your life. So one of the ways to improve your life is to unclutter managed database. So one of the ways they started doing that was with conditional formatting. They saw a lot of developers out there putting fields on top of each other, sometimes three or four or five or six of them on top of each other to get them to change colors. This simple example, but there's many examples out there where you would have to put a field inside of managed database to get done what you wanted done. And you'd have five or six that were working on the same function. And I'll give you a good example of where conditional formatting is better than straightforward validation. So I want a field to have a value, but I don't want to force the user to do it. I just want them to make them aware that they need to put something in that field. So I use conditional formatting, which simply says, if this field is empty, give it a red background color. And the moment you do that, it's immediately obvious to the user that this needs attention. And that's one of the reasons I really like conditional formatting. Yeah, and it's important to note that if you're a good designer and using good techniques that you don't abuse your color so that when you do something like you just talked about, it actually means something. It's not like you're a sea of colors on your screen. You don't have a rainbow unicorn on your screen. You have optimal usage of color so that when you do something like that, person goes, whoa, what did I do? What, what, what's that for? Because yep. it's going to attract their attention. Yep. Too much of anything is too much of anything. Yep. Except for maybe beer. I'd have to, I'd have to uh, disagree with that in one point. Um, I'm a craft beer guy, so yeah, I like to. If you drink too much, John, you're going to regret it. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. So, um, <laughs> or at least I'm not willing to admit it. How about that? No, that's fair enough. So I like to tell the story and I've, I think I've told it before and I'm going to tell it again because I think it's such an important story because it involves me. I'm just kidding, of course, but we're at FileMaker and they're presenting conditional formatting for the first time and they didn't have the calculation engine attached to it. How boring would conditional formatting be without the calculation engine? Well, you can thank me because I was the one who said, well, can you guys attach the calculation engine? And poof, there it was when they released it, it was on there. And I use it 99.9% .9 of the time because that calculation engine doesn't just enhance conditional formatting, it really makes it a feature. If they just had the option that defaults to of choosing a value, it would just be, it, it, it would be useful, but it wouldn't be able to do all the cool things that Michael was talking about, about, you know, making things highlight when uh, this, uh, when this field is empty, you wouldn't be able to do that stuff. It just wouldn't be there. So thank goodness they decided to start placing that calculation everywhere. I don't, I think they were kind of at the verge there of knowing that the calculation, how, in, how important it was. And once conditional formatting hit the feature set, then all of a sudden everything got the calculation engine. Right. And another place that I use conditional formatting all the time is when I'm using a portal to give the user a, a way to select from any number of different values. And when they click on that 
record in the portal, it highlights that row, that field, to show that this is the one I'm currently looking at right now. And that's a very powerful visual clue. Right. And I believe that can also be done with themes, too. So there's always more than one way to do something. It all depends on what you have. But put it on your tool belt, have the different methods for doing things, and pull out the tool that you need at that time. Yeah, there's a thousand ways to skin the cat. Right. That's a great one. I, was, I always use that one, the skin the cat example, right? Poor cats, right? And in fact, I've got a graphic that I use on some of my videos of, a, you know, one of these hairless cats with the caption, there's a thousand ways to. <laughs> right. So why, why not a dog? I mean, poor cats, right? I mean, geez. Okay. So it's important to note that all of these layout-based calculations, the conditional formatting, we'll get into the placeholder text, the hide object, and the tooltips, are all unstored. So what does that mean? That means that they have to calculate every time their record refreshes. So use them wisely because you get too many on there and it could be slow. And we'll get more into that in a little bit. So I don't have much to say about placeholder text except that it's cool and that the calculation engine applied to putting information right in a field when it's empty is very powerful and eliminates a lot of clutter in managed database. So the calculation engine came to the rescue again and fixed or or uh, helped out developers not to clutter up this managed database and have all this stuff in there that they didn't need. It took a lot of burden off of it and made it easier to understand. That's again, you know, Rick Coleman and Robert Holsey are are the the guys behind this. They're the ones that are you know you know steamrolling this this vision of okay, we could add a bunch of features, but what if we just made things easier to do and offloaded other areas, you know, rather than making it easier to uh, filter managed database in the field section and type in something and, and only show those fields, why don't we just make less fields in there? And that's their vision of it. And it's not that they don't want to do the, the filtering of the fields. It's just that there's sometimes better ways to get around the problem, which is make sure the only fields that are in there are really the fields that should be in there. And that's what placeholder text is just a simple feature attaching the existing calculation engine. And people are doing this all the time. They wanted labels or directions right inside that field when the field was empty. And that's all it does. And it's simple and it's straightforward. But it really, when you start thinking about it, unclutters that managed database, which is such a big deal. Yeah, but there is a difference, John, between placeholder text and tooltips. And they may both be unstored, but I'm not sure that they, the placeholder text is unstored because it's just simply a, a text value. Enter first name. Yeah, tooltips calculate at the time you hover over them. So they are unstored, but you don't have to worry about them slowing things down because they're not recalculating on the entire, you know, the whole screen. Uh, you know, it, you know, if you have 50 tooltips, the only time it's going to calculate is when you hover over it. Not all 50 tooltips are going to calculate because they're unstored, but they are unstored. Now, placeholder text is the same thing. It's unstored. They're not stored as a result anywhere in there, as far as I know. And I'm great to be, if somebody has a comment and a way of testing, that that's my understanding about how placeholder text works. It's unstored and recalculates because you got to think about it. There's no reference field to update. There's no way to store it. 
it's got to be unstored. So if you put get current date in there, it's going to keep updating with get current date inside that placeholder text because it's unstored. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I know that tooltips sometimes are slow to display. Sure. Especially if it's a complicated calculation, you can wait a second or two for it to populate. But of course, with um, placeholder text, when you go to that layout, every field that's empty will have that placeholder text displaying in it so that um, it seems like it's just doesn't seem like it's calculating because there's no not even a fraction of a second delay. Well, it all depends on how many unstored calculations and other objects you have on that layout. So an example of somebody who used one of my clients who used this and abused the, the whole unstored calculation, conditional formatting, placeholder text, hide objects, not tooltips. Again, not a big concern about that. They had put so many on there and they referred to calculations across relationships and this and that, and they had repeated code over and over again. They came to me saying, why is my layout all of a sudden so slow? And I said, I started taking a look at them. I'm like, wow, look at all these, because I can see all the eyeballs on there for the hide object. And I can see all the placeholder text icons and the conditional formatting. Like, well, I know you're trying to make things easy for the user and that's cool and you want to do that, but let's offload those things in different areas. Let's declare a variable when that record loads to get your code centralized into that variable. So it doesn't have to calculate on each place where you use it. Let's offload some of that logic into the script because he was making a button disappear when he they wouldn't be able to write the script. And I said, well, you know what you can do is you can make it so that when you click that button, it comes over with a warning message instead, and then you won't be taxing that that layout so much, that record. And so that's what it comes down to. It's not that you can't use these unstored calculations like hide object, which is one of my favorites. It's that you shouldn't abuse it. And where that limit is, is hard to say. It all depends on all the things that are going on in your database, especially on that layout. And so you've just got to be aware that you don't want to go crazy with them because it could slow things down because they have to recalculate every time the screen refreshes. Right. Now, I just want to add a caveat to the hide object win, which is one of yours and one of my favorite functions. Even though those objects are not on the layout, if you happen to save the, save the file as an Excel file, all of those object calculations, all those fields that have got the hide object when will still be included in the export. They will not be excluded from it. So you have to be very well aware that they're not completely hidden. They're just not seen by you in that current state. It's about the experience, right? You've done this enough times. You've, you've, you've made all the mistakes just like I have. And when you make a lot of mistakes, you know a lot more stuff. Gazillions of mistakes. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, can't even fathom how many mistakes I've made, but they're, you know, make the mistakes because that's how you learn. That's, that's the best way to learn. You can read a book, you can watch a video, you can learn to a podcast, but until you go in and fiddle with FileMaker and make the mistakes yourself, you're just not going to remember as well. You're not going to understand as well. No, you really have to, you have to make those mistakes. It's the only way to learn. And FileMaker is very forgiving in that you can iterate through different variations incredibly quickly, but and you will very quickly learn what doesn't work. So let's talk real briefly about tooltips. We kind of did it a little bit, but you want to understand that 
what they're good for. And, and this is with every feature. And what they're good for, uh, in my opinion, are buttons. Because usually you want your buttons to be, you know, maybe a half an inch or an inch or, or maybe even two inches you know, wide and then maybe a half an inch tall or something like that. You could get one or two or three or maybe even four words on there. They don't always accurately describe, especially if you want an icon on there, that takes the space of there, uh, you know, on that, on that area. And, and just putting a simple tooltip on there can give that user the benefit of more understanding what this is actually going to do. So if somebody's coming in new to the company and they're going to start using the system, they magically roll over that that button and they can see what it does. Yeah, that's what I would call a solid gold tip because it's incredibly useful and everybody who's listening should pay attention to it. Absolutely. So don't worry about the slow display, uh, or I should say not slow display or unstored nature of them because again, they're only going to, they're not like the other objects where they're going to calculate every time the screen refreshes, only when you hover over them. Okay, so Stephen Blackwell is probably, uh, you know, turning, you know, well, probably perking up and going, is somebody talking to me uh, about me? Because uh, he's obviously Mr. Security. And I, I mentioned him because, you know, he does so much for security and over the years, over a long period of time, that I want to make sure that we cover this very important calculation enhancement to security, which is called record level access. And I find that people don't know about it or understand what it's for. The idea is to allow you to make records limited in who can view, edit, or delete, not create them. So there's, if you go into the, into the, you know, the record section inside of a privilege set and into the data access and design section, you know, it's, it's down below that section, the privilege sets, you'll see those view, edit, and delete options. And you'll see that there's a limited option on there. And you can put a calculation on there that will limit what somebody can do. So the classic example is a salesperson. You have, let's say, 100 salespeople. And you want those salespeople to only see their records. So what do you do? You have an auto-enter housekeeping field that auto-enters the account name onto the record. And when they log on, you can compare that field that's auto entered into to the get account name and see if they equal each other. If they do, then they get to see the record or they get to edit the record or they get to delete the record. Otherwise they don't. Yeah, it's very important. Now the important thing to remember about this, especially because the most common one is probably the viewing. People don't want the other salespeople to see their records. The only time that person can see the sales records of somebody else and not really see them, but they can see that they're there is when you do a show all records. If you do a find, you don't have to put in the person's account name and say, oh, find these records. The find knows that they can't see that record. And so they'll only show them the records for that account, that salesperson. But when you do a show all records, it's really going to show all records. So what I always recommend for people is to know that this is going to happen and simply replace the show all records with a custom menu. Uh, option that says do a find on get account name. It's that simple. And then they're showing all of their records, not all the records. And it's not saying access denied all the way down the screen. And they're having trouble finding the records they want. Yeah, absolutely. So before we get off and finish on the calculation engine, and we are getting close, I want to talk two things. First of all, about summary fields, what they are, when you should use them, and when you should not put them on a layout. 
And summary fields, it literally is what it says. It summarizes the records that you're looking at. And typically, you find a summary field inside a part on a layout. In other words, the total value of sales for this sales rep and then the next one is the next sales rep and the value of their sales and then the summary field that same summary field is being used multiple places in different parts and then if you put it on the grand summary it totals them all up so they're very powerful but you've got to be incredibly careful about where you're using them and especially when you have large record sets because you don't want it to have to calculate across thousands of records when there are better ways of achieving the same result. Anything to add on that, John? Well, they're like unstored calculations. They recalculate every time the screen refreshes. So what they're designed for, to put it simply, I'm going to kind of summarize what you said. They're for reports, not for data entry layouts. Don't put them on a data entry layout unless you really know what's going to happen. I've had clients insist on having them on there, and I said, okay. And then I put them on there, and they go, why is it so slow? I told you it was going to be slow. So watch out for those summary fields. Now, here's the thing that a lot of people don't know. You can't use them in a calculation without using the get summary function, which is a very powerful calculation function. and what that allows you to do, it allows you to take a summary field or fields, and sometimes multiple ones, and perform calculations on it. So in other words, you might have a list of, for each of the sales agents, you have a total for that sales agent of what their sales total for. But if you want to see what percentage that sales rep, what percentage of the total volume, total sales that sales rep has, you have to use a get summary function, which is referencing the summary field, breaking it by the sales rep in that particular instance. And so the records for the get summary function to work, the records have to be sorted. So you really want to try and avoid using it on large record sets. And you need a different calculation field for each time the break part or the, the what it's being sorted by is different. So you would need a different calculation for the sales rep, the region, and overall. And you would perhaps you would for that you'd need three different fields. And when you're looking at all records, the break part, which is the second part of the calculation, is the same as the first part. So you're referencing the same function, summary function, in both parts of that calculation engine. Do I have that right, John? Yeah, I, just, I, I don't think you meant it this way, but you can put a summary field without the get summary function in a calculation, and it will give you a result. It's just probably not going to be the one you want. It'll eliminate the ability for it to be contextual. In other words, you're talking about sub-summary parts and grand summaries and things like that. It changes the value. It will no longer do that anymore. Right. Like a some regular summary field would do it. So that's an important thing to note is that the get summary function is used for, at this point, usually for putting 
sub-summarized data in there. In other words, broken by, because you have two parameters. You have the summary field for get summary. So that's the first parameter. And the second parameter is going to be the break field or the sort field that we typically use inside a sub-summary part. Now, a lot of times you can get the same results with the total, what is it called? The fraction of total option that you can put on a summary field, but sometimes you can't and you have to re resort to the get summary function. And it's pretty difficult for us to come up with an example to tell you without kind of giving you a visual, but you'll, you'll know when you get there, try the, the fraction of total option. And if it can give you the percentage that you want, the percentage of the whole, then you're good. But if you've got something where you're taking it from two different places, essentially, and you want to divide them, and you can't get it with that fraction of the whole, then that's when get summary function comes in. And it's very handy. I, I had a hard time understanding sub summary parts and, and the get summary function when I first started supporting FileMaker uh, when I worked at Claris. Uh, but, you know, eventually it comes and I think you need to practice with it before you need to use it so you know how to use that tool when the time comes along. Yeah, like everything else, it's a matter of practicing and experimenting and seeing what works best for the situation that you're in. And it isn't always going to be the same answer because we're in a a dynamically changing situation with every solution we develop. It's going to be different and different results, different parameters, different methods. And don't be afraid to experiment and find what works best for that situation. So we haven't given you really any specific functions, any calculation functions. And I think that's, we've accomplished exactly what we want to do because we want to give you the theory behind everything here. So take that away. We didn't want to say, here's a calculation that chops, you know, your, your uh, lettuce for you. And here's another calculation that does this and no one does that. There, there's nothing in here we've given you. We've given you the theory about when to use the calculation, about how it's everywhere. And that when you should use the calculations. If you want to get specifics, you're going to go out and Google and look for blogs and videos and things like that to get more details. But always remember what we said in this podcast about where these things can be used, that they are there and why would use them in certain situations. Exactly. It's a very good point. Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground in this. We've been talking for over an hour and 20 minutes. So it's a long podcast, but it's a very interesting subject, and it's one that everybody should listen to and be very familiar with it. Yeah, because I don't think enough people, enough developers talk about this aspect. They give you specific formulas, and what we're trying to give you is a theory. We're trying to teach you how to fish so you can make your own calculations. It's not just about, hey, copy and paste this into your database and it'll work. We want you to understand how to use the calculation engine and where to use it and in what places to use it. There's scripting, there's hide object, there's tooltips, conditional formatting, validation, auto enter, calculation fields. It just goes on and on. Scripts, it's everywhere. So learn when best to use the calculation engine and in which spot to use it. Exactly. Well, I'm Michael Rashad. It's been a pleasure talking to you, John, as always. And my name is John Mark Osborne, and thanks for listening to Fireside FileMaker. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.